there is a bone in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bone in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Sometimes I feel discouraged and think my words in of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 in the ESV. Well, hello, Grant. Brian, how are ya? I'm doing pretty good, especially since... uh. I am not sitting in my basement with poor cell phone connection. I am sitting outside on my deck in this nice evening weather. Hopefully I won't be eaten by mosquitoes while we're recording tonight. I was wondering what the sound of the humming of air conditioners had to do with uh, our, our topic tonight. Yes, that is the sound of my family staying cool inside. That is an excellent feeling it as is. a man who's been without an air conditioner before in his life. That is a good feeling. Yeah. All right. So today we have an incredibly rousing episode ahead of us. Um, I get ready to whoop and holler. Get ready to whoop and holler. I guess possibly maybe throw those hands up in the air. Yes, but uh, in the past, on some episodes, I've I've manuscripted out what I'm going to say. Today, I wrote probably the nicest outline I've ever written in my life. It is a beautiful outline. Beautiful outline. I have all sorts of numbers, letters, Roman numerals, the lot. Yeah. As I was writing this, I kept adding more and I kept adding more and I kept thinking, this is going to be a two part episode. (laughs) It does look pretty uh, complete, shall we say? Yeah. This, I would say, has the potential of maybe being a three part episode, but I think we can probably get it done. We're going to, we're going to put our noses to the grind and 
grindstone, whatever the expression is, and we're going to just try to stay on target. The meat grinder, I believe. Yes. Okay. But let's start with some follow-up first. What do you got? I have two items of follow-up. The first, uh, in last episode, I said that in Romans 1.1, Paul addresses to the Romans who they are. So he said who he was writing to. That is actually not in Romans 1.1. It's in Romans 1.7. It says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, well, even though that's seven verses later than you thought it was originally, knowing Paul, I bet that's still the same sentence. It was absolutely the same sentence. Um, what I meant when I said it was at the beginning of Romans, but I literally said Romans one one, and so I just wanted to, I just wanted to uh, correct that. So the other uh, I mentioned in the middle of a conversation last episode, that there is a quote that I need to find. And uh, it was from an audio recording of an essay that A.W. Tozer wrote. Um, and I actually, I had written it out before, but I had got a new phone since then and did not have the quote uh, written anymore. So I actually had to go back and listen to the essay and found it. Um, and this is the quote. It says, Oh, brother or sister, God calls us to worship. But in many instances, we are an entertainment, just running a poor second to the theaters. That is where we are, even in the evangelical churches. And I don't mind telling you that most of the people we say we are trying to reach will never come to a church to see a lot of amateur actors putting on a home talent show. Ouch. Boy, he knows how to, yeah. how to, how to put, put the screws in there. Plus, that was like 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, what's changed? Um, well, I do have one point of follow-up, too. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, what we're calling the deathbed uh, um, confessionals, not really confessionals, deathbed songs, songs that you uh, sing in the midst of trial and hardship, but also in times of great joy. Um, which we talked about on our last show, those entries are starting to roll in. Uh, So please, uh, you know, if you haven't already, I know I've uh, put some thought into mine, but I haven't gathered them all up in one spot yet. But if you would like to, please do uh, put together kind of some of those songs that are lyrically very deep, uh, but also... um, you know, true comfort uh, from the word yeah. of God uh, that that uh, are are comforting to you during, you know, these times of trial or strife in your life. Um, these, you know, uh, kind of the songs that you want people to be singing around you when um, you're in um, some of the worst, worst points in your life. So please do get those in. And we promise a cheery episode where we kind of maybe unpack some of that at some point yeah i think that sounds like a good idea so far and when grant says they're rolling in we've gotten one um brian (laughs) Brian. (laughs) i don't think you know how this works man so yes we've gotten one and it was Uh, it was miss karen greenfield and uh her list checks out and uh, man i've been listening to it actually 
so I appreciate you, Karen, and um, please, uh, the rest of y'all, um, the the other nine listeners that we have, we do encourage you uh, to uh, put some songs down that are uh, in that category for you. Cool. So that's all the follow-up for me. So that's, uh, all, would, that's all the follow-up? Would, would you say that was all the follow-up? I, I would say that was all the follow-up. How do you know I was going to say that? <laughs> I was going to actually say, would you say that it's time to move to our icebreaker? I, I would say so. All right. So we have n- not failed to make that joke before. So oh my word. what We're we so... decided, this is a this is episode 16, and uh-huh. one of the things that we try to do every four episodes, we want to kind of do some song reviews. Put some put what we're talking about to practical use and look at a song or two or three and, and, uh, and just figure out like what, how, how does this apply? And a lot of times I think every time so far I've done two or three songs, but today we decided to just do one song and, uh, that is you say by Lauren Daigle. Uh, the reason why we wanted to look at this song is because it is currently the, uh, number one song, not currently the number one song on the Billboard, though I have not actually checked if it's still there or not. I doubt it's still there. And you're probably going to look at it right now as I'm saying uh, that. I am. I, I, hear some, I, I, hear, I heard the clicking of the mouse. Oh, no. Um, okay. But it, it holds the record of longest time in the number one slot on Billboard's uh, Hot Christian Charts. So... Uh, what I figured we'd do is we'll actually give this one a full review, look at uh, all the lines in the song, compare it to our list of questions that we've gone over in the past, and just give it a just give it a rundown. Not uh, we'll, we'll we'll be pretty quick about it because we have a lot to get to, but I've I felt like this was uh, a good time to look at you say. Fantastic. All right, verse one. I keep mm-hmm. fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie mm-hmm. that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Uo. And then Uo. The, Uo. It's in there. Uo. It's in there. I've heard the song. Anyway, uh, first thing that jumps out. The very first word of the song is I. Mm. And this mm-hmm. this particular word repeats very often throughout this. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Uh she is talking to someone, but that someone is not defined. Um, since this is a Christian song playing on the Christian radio, uh, we obviously, obviously the answer is Jesus. Uh, but it is not defined. That is something that just really jumped out at me. Uh, and then thinking of the questions, she's, she's talking about identity, which is a very, uh, it's very, up-to-date topic. Uh, identity is very uh, hip in the uh, culture right now, uh, talking mm-hmm. about who mm-hmm. who am I. Um, mm-hmm. And this song is is all about me. 
it's all about who I am. It's all about, you know, what, you know, it, it's all about my own stuff. It's not a song that is glorifying God at this point in time. Uh, right. It, it's, um, it, it's, uh, I got to keep doing this. And, um, ah, these feelings of not being enough, which, okay, good. Um, but every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Well, um, are those lies? Uh, right. One, one must ask, um, and am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends on your worldview, I suppose. Well, it doesn't. I mean, I'm speaking from various points of view, but, and, um, and also she said in the last couple lines, remind me once again, just who I am, because I need to know, do you, do you really need to know? Is that something that is actually important? Um, so those are some good questions. We get to the chorus. The chorus is significantly better than the first verse. I'm just going to say that. It's, you say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. I believe. Um, is it the best? No. Is it better? Yes. It still has I in there like three times for every one you. Uh, It also doesn't say who you is. It also involves some theology that isn't necessarily the strongest. Um, But you say I'm loved. That is a truth statement, which is a true truth statement. uh, When I can't feel a thing. Assuming you're the elect. Assuming that you're of the elect. Yes. And her target audience is people claiming Christianity. Yeah. And so we can give her that. Uh, when I can't feel a thing, that's, that's a word that is, that is very culture friendly. Um, it's not, um, and yeah, it's just, it's very culture friendly. It it isn't grounded in scripture. It's grounded in, in uh, the culture of the day. The, just that, that, that portion of the line, when I can't feel a thing, you say, I am strong when I think I am weak. Um, that one's an interesting one because I think really God says I am weak when I think I am strong. And God says that's, mm-hmm. and that's to my glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yeah. So that one's a, a little off. Uh, you say I'm held when I am falling short. Uh, that one is a very mystical line. It's not wrong, uh, but it is very, it's got its roots in mysticism and this idea of wanting to be physically close to God, um, as opposed to spiritually close to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I don't belong, you say I am yours. That's probably the strongest line in this whole song. Um, she, yeah. she has it in that spot because it is the strongest line in the whole song. Uh, but that is that is a very good truth statement. When when I when I don't belong, you say I am yours because I don't belong, and he says I'm yours anyway. Then we get to this little kind of refrain at the end where it says, "And I believe," and you have these background vocalists saying, "I, oh, I uh-huh. believe, I, uh-huh. what you say of me, I, I uh-huh. believe," and that just like fully unequivocally puts the emphasis on me. And there's totally a helicopter flying over me right now. Well, it sounded like an engine. 
yeah. flying All overhead. Right. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I was going to say is the uh, – okay, so the this kind of chorus tag thing. Yeah. Uh, and I believe I – oh, I believe I – what you say of me, I, I believe. Um, I don't see such a big problem mm-hmm. in I believe because it is the person who's believing. It would be an error to say – that like and this was so i was listening to a, another podcast about this a little bit ago and there there was a kind of movement at one point uh which was saying that that jesus kind of believed it for you and since he's in you then that's kind of like communicated but you don't actually believe anything um and that that somehow jesus takes but no, it really is you, the thing, yeah. um, you know, faith, uh, we are given faith that is from God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and we must have that before we can, uh, become, you know, you know, become regenerate or anything like that. But we are the ones who are doing the believing. So yeah, it is a lot of, I emphasis and, I see why that could be definitely, you know, in a song with a lot of I emphases, but I don't have as big a problem with that. As long as we keep that in context that, yeah, we do. We are the ones believing. I am the one believing, but what, what's more important is not that what you say of me, uh, it's more of what you have done for me. Yeah. Um, is I think what the, where, where the emphasis should be. Yeah, and, uh, and I agree with that. Um, the thing that bothers me about that little reprieve is, is the background vocals that are just singing out the word I and just leaving it at that. And, <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. And, uh, and it's just really literally putting the focus on the I. And, and so it's, it is important that I believe, but I'm, not, I'm still not the focus of, of the action. And so that's that's what bothers me about that. But let's move on to the next verse. Maybe for the rest of the episode, I'll just kind of throw that eye in the back of the vocal <laughs> you should. for you. You should. That yeah, would okay. that would work. Um, Excellent. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, mm-hmm. I find my worth. In you, I find Hi. my identity. Hi. Uo. Um, Uo. So that last Hurrah. line in in a vacuum. The, the final line in a vacuum in you, I find my identity is a mm-hmm. fantastic line. However, yes. in the Uh-oh. song, in the context of the song, I think that it really, uh, it, it's really telling of what the song is like, what the point of the song is. And, and that is identity politics. The song is really? about this. Yeah. I, because of look at the rest of the line. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. It's it's not exactly right. It's not. It's one of those. It's it's kind of right, but it's not exactly right. That's not the only thing that matters. What God thinks of me. What matters is what God thinks of Jesus. Yeah, definitely. And, and how when God sees me, He sees Jesus. Right. But this song lacks Jesus fully and completely lacks Jesus. And right. so how can I have my identity in Christ if I'm not going to talk about Christ? 
And so that line in you, I find my identity is a, is a perfectly fine line. And it is a message that our culture needs to hear, but it doesn't need to hear it in this context. Um, and, and I'll mention more about that in a little bit, but the line immediately preceding that in you, I find my worth reminds mm-hmm. me so much of reckless love. I, <laughs> um, in reckless love, it says, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. And he went on to explain what that meant. Corey Asbury went on to explain that that was this worth argument of that. I was worth heaven to Christ. And so heaven was yeah. willing to bankrupt. To oh, win me. bankrupt. Oh my word. And so this line in you, I find my worth. Um, it isn't in, in Christ that I find my worth. It's in Christ that I have any worth. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not that I find it in him. It's that I gain right. it it's like him. Man, that worth was deep down inside of me all this time. And right. it just took a little Jesus to burnish it out and make it, you know, shine or something like that. And it's like, oh, yeah. Ooh, and that's so, not. And so that line gives me some, some issues. Um, but looking at like this idea of identity, I mean, this whole idea, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every mm. single lie that tells me I'll never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every lows? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And saying, I find my identity in you. But what is this identity? This identity isn't um, covered in the righteousness of Jesus. This identity is, is I'm loved, I am strong, I am held, and I belong. And worthy. Yeah, and I, and I have worth. So the identity isn't the actual identity that, that we find in Christ. The identity is one of, of having worth, but that's, that's part of it. But what the identity that we find in Christ is that we are, um, reconciled, Mm -hmm. that we are reconciled to him through the death of Christ. And so now God sees our, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness and that allows us to, to approach boldly into the, into the, uh, the the throne of grace, which is a message that we need to hear in this culture of today, that we can have full reconciliation, but it's not through, you know, what's going on today. It's through what happened 2000 years ago. And, um, and this song doesn't quite capture it. And it leaves the door wide open to kind of define for yourself right. what that identity means. And that is extremely dangerous yes. because all of a sudden now you can kind of like twist that to mean whatever you want it to. Yeah. Um, and that right there is, it's just dangerous um, yeah. to do that. And uh, before I go into that last section, on the heels of this song coming out, she was asked point blank, what uh, would you say that homosexuality is a sin or that homosexuals are sinners destined for hell? She said, Oh, you know, I, I can't really be the judge of that. Um, I don't really know what the Bible says about it. I guess you, you can go and look it up yourself. Whoa. Huge wishy-washy thing. She got called out by a lot of, of Christian leaders uh, that she needs to be bold and take a stance. I kind of feel like 
what happened was she was seeing some real fame. Like this, this song became a crossover hit, which I'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. Um, but the song became a crossover hit. She was getting some, some real exposure and, and this was on her second album. She started like skyrocketing to fame with this mm-hmm. particular album and this song. And, uh, and I think she was caught off guard. I think she was asked a question that she hadn't prepared an answer for. And so she just took the coward's way out and, and brushed it off. Um, and so she didn't actually say what her beliefs were on it. She just refused to answer. But there's a lot that goes on with that. Why didn't she have an answer prepared for that question? Surely she knew that she was going to be asked that question. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, t- talking about this being a crossover hit, how would the song become a crossover hit? You know, when secular radio stations can play this song and not feel uncomfortable with it, there's something that there's something about it. And uh, part of it is we've got four lines left and God hasn't even been mentioned yet, let alone Jesus. God is mentioned on the second to last line. It says, uh, taking all I have and now I'm laying it at your feet. You'll have every failure, God. You'll have every victory. And so God is just tacked on right at the very end of the song. Uh, just- Hi! Yeah, just to give it a little bit of context. But it's not even Christ. It's not Jesus. Um, on this particular album that this song was released in, Jesus uh-huh. Jesus by name was only mentioned in one song. And it was her cover of an old hymn. She, so she didn't even write the song that Jesus was mentioned on in this particular album. I only know this because we bought this album for my second born because she was going through a huge Lauren Daigle phase and we figured it can't hurt probably uh and i read through <laughs> i read through the entire album there's i mean this is it's i'd say tame it, it doesn't say anything remotely like false there's nothing in this song that's false uh so this isn't propagating a, a false gospel um but it's not the truth of the gospel either it's and she's we we talked about that with her. You know, we we talked about mm-hmm. you know where these are. Um, anyway, so that is the song "You Say" by Lauren Daigle. Uh, it I I would say that this song was as popular as it was because it was a crossover hit. Uh, the crossover hit allowed the song to skyrocket. Um, Oceans not being a crossover hit. Um, you know, it stayed in the in, in the lead for a very long time. Uh, another song that's really high up there is "There Must Be Something in the Water" by Carrie Underwood because that was a crossover hit the other way. It started off in the secular and then went into the <laughs> Christian. Um, Those are always really interesting, aren't they? Yeah, because it, it was sung at Passion, and so it made its way into the Christian realm. Uh, so we're gonna go over the. We've already answered some of these questions, so we'll go over these. Well, pretty, hold on, pretty quickly. Okay, I'm holding. Real-time follow-up. All right. Uh, yes, you say is still number one, and it's a big week. Really? Because uh, uh, it is now has been number one for 90 weeks straight. 90 weeks. Once it hits. Yeah. We're approaching two years. Yeah, once it's 104 point. weeks. Yeah, approaching two years. So that's not only – so this is – it's been like 
Oceans was 62, 63 weeks. So this is 90 weeks, which means it's almost been 50% longer. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Uh, it's been on the chart itself for 100 weeks. So, that's, so it's been that's on been the top been, 100 for almost, almost two, two years. years now. Yeah. Ever since it came out. Oceans was um, on, the, on the charts for three years. And it might still be on the charts from time to time because it, they <laughs> keep re-releasing it. So let's go on to uh, the questions. So okay. section one, law and gospel. Is the law accurately represented through the mention of sin and man's fallen condition, God's holiness, justice, and wrath, and man's desperate need for salvation? Mm. This song is about an identity It's like a five crisis. out of ten, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it's, I'd it's say, like, I would even say five out of ten. Man, this, is, it, this song is about an identity crisis. It is not about a sin crisis. This is oh, a song yeah, asking a the point. question, who am I? It's, it, it's all about... It's, it's completely catering to the culture of the day. It, it is not rooting anything in the, in the law or the gospel. It is fully about who am I? And, uh, and it's, that's, that is the message. And so in the song, if I can just figure out who I am, then I will be okay. Mm-hmm. So there is, well, I mean, go ahead. isn't that the question that so many people are asking right now? Like you yes. said, yeah, it's written to the culture, but more than that, isn't that something too, that Christianity does have something to say about? Right. Um, it's like, why did you need to pull from the culture to answer, talk to the culture when you have this rich Yeah. You have the answer of, and you, mm-hmm. and you didn't even remotely address it. Um, mm-hmm. So the second part of that question is the gospel accurately represented through the mention of Jesus Christ, his completed work and his free gift of grace. Unfortunately, that has to be a zero out of 10 because, um, yeah, Jesus is not mentioned. Um, his completed work is not mentioned and his free gift of grace is not mentioned No, at all or in, or even in, I, I mean, you could maybe argue that like his free gift of grace is sort of mentioned, but like very veiled reference. I wouldn't even uh, say his free gift of grace. I would say his common grace is veiledly mentioned. Okay. All right. I'll buy it. You'll buy it. Okay. Aye. Aye. All right. Uh, section two, scripture. Is there any discernible, specific scripture that is accurately represented? Hmm. Okay. Laying it all at your feet tells me maybe this is the uh, the prostitute who... Yeah wiped her hair on Jesus feet, um, you know, and poured the nard. Right. And I am blanking on her name, but, um, it was potentially Mary of Bethany. Okay. Maybe that's Mary of Bethany did it. There's, there's two women that did it. Uh, right. Mary of Bethany was one of them. Right. Um, however, the other part of this is accurately represented. And this is more like, Laying it at your feet. Oh. Maybe, actually, maybe that's not the right reference. I was thinking that because feet. I think there's at, a. I think there's a reference in Revelation yeah. about laying our crowns at his feet. Yes, where casting crowns gets their name from. Yeah, um, the the two words that really stuck out to me are falling short. Um, 
for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that, oh, okay. so those lo- those words are specifically in like they they seem to be specifically referencing that. However, we're, it's not in reference to sin. It's uh, you say I am held, like I you, like you are holding on to me when I am falling short. So there's a an incredible disconnect in the meaning of those of that line. Um, mm-hmm. Falling short is clearly like a reference to not reaching a standard. But why would you say I'm held when I am mm. not reaching your standard? There's a disconnect in the even in the poetry of that line. Um, I don't understand where like what she's trying to say on that line. Sure. So is there anything that's like discernible, obvious scripture that is accurately represented? No. Yeah, sorry. Um section three, beauty. Do the mm-hmm. lyrics utilize poetic devices form and mnemonic to grasp for objective beauty and memorability well it's definitely memorable i mean a lot of it's repeated uh it's you know i'm sure plenty of people can sing this song along with uh along with her yeah um i I would i would give this you know a nine out of ten on 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 this particular scale uh, just look at the chorus. There's the poetry. Mm-hmm. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. She's got this, this, uh, this repetition going on. You say I am held when I'm falling short when I don't belong. Oh, you say I am yours. On the last mm-hmm. line, she switches like the the pattern, but she does mm-hmm. so so that she can end on you say I am yours, um, mm-hmm. which is a nice powerful line to to mm-hmm. end on. Because if it was you say I'm yours when when I don't belong, yeah, that wouldn't, it just it wouldn't wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have that punch, and right. so uh, yeah, so she has a lot of good like repetition of ideas, repetition of words, uh, like the in you I find my worth, in you I find my identity. The way that that flows is really really cool i mean there's there's a lot of of really cool wordplay going on here um so i mm-hmm. would I give her a lot of props on the poetry uh and uh yeah the memorability very very good like that's why the song is is as good as it was does the music utilize prosody and surprise to grasp for objective beauty and memorability uh, this song it's it's a very powerful ballad. The oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, the it, rhythm uh, throughout that kind of uh, it, it feels almost like a six eight type time or a three quarter time. Um, where yeah, you said ballad. I'm thinking yeah, it kind of has that swing to it. Yeah, that helps a lot. It has like a really syncopated rhythm. It's almost like a really slow four four. Oh yeah. With uh, okay. but it's like the one two three one two three one two one two three one two three one two. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. So, she's got that syncopated rhythm. Yeah, um, and so it, it just there's like the chord progression, the just the somberness to it, like the instrumental. It just it really feels like like there's a yearning behind it. Mm-hmm. Well, and her voice really supports that too. I yeah, mean, it does. she has a great voice. Let's let's say that, um, and very similar to Adele. 
as we have mentioned before, and many other people. In fact, if you search for Lauren Daigle, you say, you will get people also ask, does Lauren Daigle sound like Adele? I just say use your ears. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, Let's move on. All right. All right. So the the next section is on excellence. Uh, So are the lyrics crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that show discernible care and attention to word choice, grammar, and syntax? Uh, There is no colloquial language in this song. So that always scores high on my pet peeves. So uh, I, I mentioned that there's that one line that's a little bit confusing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that she's trying, I, I think she intentionally chose the words falling short because of uh, the scripture reference, but she just didn't like mm-hmm. tie it together in the way that it made sense. And so I, I, she did, I would say that she did intentionally choose those words but that's the that's the only that's really the only line in the song that I think was even a little bit confusing. Everything else, it's very clear. Her, her argument is very clear. Uh, she uses a lot of very Christianese language, so that when mm-hmm. you're listening to it in the car, mm-hmm. half paying attention, it sounds like a very religious song. Um, and that's that was intentional. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah, I thought it was very intentionally written. Um, that is a true statement. Um, as, as far as a careful attention to word choice, grammar, and syntax, yes, I feel like these words were very well uh, chosen, very carefully chosen. Um, and definitely to show kind of like that Christian-y feel to it. Um, things like uh, belief is included a lot. I am loved, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's very, um, very much carefully selected language to, to fit in that, in, in that modern evangelical uh, kind of framework. Yeah. And there's something I was going to say earlier and I just glossed right over it, but the last two lines of the song, uh, I don't really know what she means by it theologically. You'll have every failure, God. You'll have every victory. It's like in the future tense. So he will have every failure. He will have every victory. And is he talking about my failures and his victory? Or uh, it's... That's a that's a weird... Those, those two lines, they're very, very christian ease. Mm-hmm. I don't know what she means by them specifically. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, at face value, yeah. it's it's saying that whenever I mess up or whenever I do good, it's all to your glory. I mean, maybe um, he'll fix he'll, all my failures. I don't know. Something like that. Um, the way I'm reading, especially you'll have every failure, you'll have every victory, feels to me like she's trying to say, like I give it all to you, kind of. Yeah. But the way it comes feet. off, yeah, I think that's what she's trying to go for. Um, in charitable reading, I would say that. But to me, it kind of comes off a little bit more like, um, you know, okay, well, I'm hands off. You know, you God, you're responsible now for everything. You know, here on out. But maybe yeah. you know, who knows? So anyway, that's moving on. Some 
some I. weird lyrics. I um, is the music crafted, creative, clever, and clear in a way that shows discernible care and attention to melody, chord structure, and basic music theory understanding. Um, oh. This is one Come of those songs. It's a. Uh, it's very simple. The mu- musically, there's a lot of really cool instrumentation going on. There's definitely beauty there. Um, you got the choir background, you got the kind choir of thing. background. Like you've got some really nice touches, but as far as like interesting music, there's not a lot of interesting music. It's all simple chord progressions, um, repeated chords. It's very simple. It's very uh, of the formula of today. So it doesn't mean it's bad. Doesn't mean it isn't excellent or that it's not meeting some standard. It's just, it's not necessarily very interesting. It's not original in that sort of sense. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, you can't, you don't listen to the song and think, Oh wow. She really understands music theory. <laughs> well, this is why you're on the show, Brian, because I can't speak to that at all. I like music. Don't get me wrong. But I did not study it uh, yeah. like you did. Um, our to slack... me, it's a nice song. Yeah. I like it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I have a, a separate category for beauty and excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, our Slack listener, Brad, uh, he, I believe it's Brad, once told me that he has, uh, when he listens to music, he puts it into the category of this song was written or this song was composed. Um and so was the song oh. just simply kind of just put together or was yeah. like great care and, and structure put into the, yeah. Does the it follow a formula or does it? Yeah. And this, sense. this song would be written and not composed. Okay. Um, so section five truth, do all the truth claims line up with the truth of scripture alone? Um, I would say for the most part, there are a couple lines that are confusing, but um, like the a charitable reading, a, chari- a charitable reading, like the you say I am strong when I think I am weak, is uh, like you can stretch that one, but like you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing, that one is is, I mean it's pretty clear in the scripture that if you are His, He loves you, uh, mm-hmm. even if you don't feel like it, which is a very modern. Um, right, like feelings, current uh, thought. Uh, truth is not based on feeling. Right, but there, but the truth is, he does love me even when I'm having my millennial moment and don't feel it. <laughs> right. Um. Let's see, but there's there's not a whole lot of truth claims. Uh, there's one like in the first line or the first verse, every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. It's not really a truth claim. Um, even though that wouldn't be a lie, that would be a truth that you don't measure up. Right. Which she then acknowledges later when she says she's falling short. So that's, there's there. Um, the only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. That's a truth claim. That's not really completely accurate so i'd say there's not anything that's in here that's like blatantly false so nothing that's in here is like she doesn't say like the like like testify testify has some blatantly false truth claims in it this song doesn't have any of those um 
this song just has some it has some things that she doesn't back up with scripture that a lot of esoteric yeah kind of like it's it's as if she got a lot of theology from listening to a lot of sermons didn't do any research on her own and then tried to apply it later and didn't get it completely right which is very potentially what happened Um, so does the message call the listener toward doxology mission or fellowship under action uh, Number six. It does not call the listener to any of those three things. What it calls it the not. listener to is to feel better about yourself. Yep. Uh, it, it calls the listener to um, to find your identity in in Christ, which is good. Which which literally, if you uh, in a charitable reading, if you call your listener to find their identity in Christ, that could lead to doxology. It could also mm-hmm. lead to mission and fellowship. It could lead to those. However, mm-hmm. she is not. Uh, she's not accurately calling us to an identity in what the Bible says our identity of, in Christ is. Instead, she's calling us to understand that our identity is that we are loved, that we are strong, that we are held, and that we uh, belong. Which aren't wrong, but that's not what we need to find our hope in. We need to find our hope in that we. Uh, that we have been made right before Christ, uh, before God through Christ, and that we will not perish when we pass away. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, so I added category number seven into our list. Uh, we've spent the last few episodes kind of going over this, but the yes. origin um, does the singer songwriter publicly ascribe to and or propagate false teaching? Um, and as far as I can tell, no, not, not, not particularly. She's been wishy-washy on some things. Uh, she's skated some issues, but she's not out there like proclaiming publicly a health and wealth gospel. She's not, she's not part of any of the big four. I don't believe. Right. I mean, she's on her own. Like she's, uh, I would, I would say of the big four, um, she's probably most closely associated to passion, but not like top dog there. Uh, but who isn't somewhat associated <laughs> with passion? Um, she's associated with Andy Stanley. Uh, Andy Stanley is kind of associated with passion in some respects, especially considering that, um, Andy Stanley's old music minister is currently the music minister of passion. But she's not like directly, directly related. And and passion of the big four, they're not propagating a false gospel. I think that they right. that they water everything down to be digested easily, but it's not propagating a false gospel. So uh so she gets a, a plus on that one. Okay. All in all, this song <laughs> as a song is nice. It's pleasant, it's beautiful. Uh, but that's that's pretty much all she focused on was the beauty of the song, the beauty and the poetry, and trying to make it sound kind of Christian. Did you know she has a podcast? I didn't. Yeah. Is it one of her comps? Uh, no. I was just on her website, and uh, it's like podcast because I was looking to see if she had any public statements or anything like that. Does she have her own, or has she just been on podcasts? 
No, she has her own. It's called nice. Daggle Bites. Daggle Bites. Interesting. <laughs> Clever. Um, and she had a bonus. Uh, her most recent one was June 12th. Um, and then I was on George Floyd Reflections. And then um, episode seven, which is the one previous, was released May 5. Uh, it doesn't look like it looks like it's about one a month, sometimes two. Oh, wow. Okay, well, never mind. She was doing it weekly there in April, March through April. It was weekly. Is it already, is it already like fizzling to, out? I, I guess so. She's we, not gonna, we she's have not, more episodes. She's not going to make it to 10, is she? I, I don't think so. All right. Although, so, I will say episode two is on identity. Interesting. I might have to listen um, to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll this do, might we'll be a, a good point up. of follow-up. Yeah. Let's let's mark that into the show notes, and then we can remember to go and look at that later. Okay. I will copy-paste. Copy-pasta. So, uh, so last week, you were going on a really epic build-up to some point that you somehow forgot halfway through and uh <laughs> how and, is this different for me and so editing i think we just were talking and then all of a sudden we said all right let's just segue and that was pretty much how we segued from one topic to another uh at one point so i'm going to have a better segue and tell the story about that everything that i cut and just segue there we go main topic is that good it, that it was perfect perfect Absolutely. You're good at this, Brian. I'm getting better. Okay. Please don't call it out next time, though. That ruins it. <laughs> it's it's my trademark. Podcasting um, hot tip. Yeah. So, <laughs> main topic today, we are going to talk about style and its significance. Style. And in my show notes, I have part one with a question mark. Mm-hmm. I put that in there before I decided absolutely that we're doing at least two parts. So, this is part one. Style and significance. Um, so what we're going to talk about, this is going to fall kind of under the beauty uh, category, but it's also going to talk about um, excellence. So beauty and excellence is kind of where this is going to land. Um, this is on the heels of talking about origin. And eventually, like we, we talked, I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before, we said we might do a Worship Wars episode this is going to get into that. This is going to lay the foundation of this idea of worship wars, and uh, which, to those listening at home that have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, this is like the contemporary versus traditional debate. Like, does your church do contemporary music? Does it do traditional music? Has it made a transition? Have people gotten upset and left the church over the over the change in how music is done? You know, do you have the the fog machine and the stage lights or do you have the bluegrass band you know what what does your church look like um i survived those wars i know it was i'm a survivor it was pretty epic there for a while um so we're gonna it was like the 90s yeah so we're not gonna go straight into like worship wars but this episode i'm gonna lay some foundational ideas on uh style of music and its significance within the church. And, uh, as I mentioned, I have a very epically long, um, outline and each one of these points, I mean, we can go for probably a while off the cuff. Um, so I'm going to keep track of time 
and right. hopefully we'll get through all that I have here this episode, and then I can write a whole <laughs> lot more notes for next episode and keep this as a two-parter as opposed to a potential three-parter. There's a lot. I, 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 V, 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 I, V, I, I. I'm just reading through the. Let's get into uh, it. Um, okay. Uh, portion one of this uh, particular argument, of this logical argument. Um, this is a debate term. Not I'm not fighting you. This is. I'm gonna cut that. So. <laughs> okay. I just started rambling there. We're not even like into it and I'm already rambling. Um, yeah, this is not good, Brian. It's not good. It's also already 10. Uh, oh, <laughs> we're just at the main topic. See you don't in the morning. Don't both of us have work tomorrow? I don't. Oh, that's why we wanted to do a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so getting into this, uh, this first part of styling and significance, uh, there, there are, three key attributes of God that I want to discuss and that are important to this particular conversation. And those are his beauty, his permanence and his perfection. And, uh, if you don't mind reading, uh, the Westminster confession of faith point two, cause I don't have sure I do. Um, the Westminster confession of faith chapter two, is all about God and the Trinity. And it's here that we find a lot of the attributes of God kind of listed. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith is kind of like, uh, almost like a a systematic theology where it kind of brings all these ideas from all over Scripture into one place um, so that can be uh, examined and understood uh, better. And I think both of us would subscribe to would subscribe to it. Um, so uh, I'm going to jump in and it says uh, chapter two, there is but one only living and true God who's infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, So that... That's a mouthful. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, there are 24 different points on that. Uh, we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes too, yeah. but so, you can yeah, go we... check it out on Relight. But uh, there, it kind of brings these a lot together. But um, kind of we're, we're we're focusing on just a couple of those um, tonight. Obviously, we can't yeah. can't cover everything. Yeah. And so the the three that really go into this particular conversation are his beauty. His permanence, which its permanence can kind of be broken up into um, his eternal, his eternality, I guess, and okay. his uh, immutability. So he has okay. always been, will always be, and will never change. He is permanent. Yes. Um, yep. And uh, in his always perf- is, always was. Yeah, in his perfection. Um, 
So I wanted to get into uh, his beauty for okay uh, because I think his permanence and his perfection people like those are like givens. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, those are ones that we talk about a lot. We talk about that he never changes. We talk about that he has always been. That he was not created. That he will always be. Like we talk about those in church a lot. Like those are like his obvious ones. But I don't think that we talk as a church about his beauty very much. Mm-hmm. And so I have. I've pulled out nine passages of scripture and, uh, and I just wanted to kind of read through these. And, uh, and this isn't just about God's beauty. Some of these are, some of these are also about, uh, how he cares about beauty. So this is, mm-hmm. I, I put these in uh, biblical order, uh, for the most part. Fantastic. Uh, so in Exodus 28, two, it says, you, yeah. sh- you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And so this is during the time of building the tabernacles, consecrating the priests, and just setting up the Levitical, um, you know, just the Levitical traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the garments that, that they made for Aaron were not only for glory, they were also for beauty. And that was a very important thing. The, the tabernacle itself was very beautifully built. It was the, yes. every aspect of it was beautifully built. It was not just, uh, it was not just built for, um, for functionality. It was also built for beauty. And that was because God cares about beauty and ultimately because he is beautiful and he is the standard mm-hmm. for beauty. Uh, the next passage is in Ecclesiastes. It says, uh, in three eleven, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the into man's heart, uh, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so he has made everything beautiful in its time. Uh, you know, in the creation narrative, it says that he made everything and everything was good. In this, it says that everything is also beautiful. And so we get, you know, a direct you know, comparison, you know, what is beautiful is good. What is good is beautiful. Uh, so the, uh, the, the third scripture that I have is, uh, from Psalm 27, four, it says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to inquire in his temple. And so that one, uh, to some degree makes me think of the Jamie Gray song. I love the way you hold me, how she's just kind of daydreaming about who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely very different. This is, you know, if I could do any one thing, if I could, if I could just have one thing, it would be to gaze upon your beauty. And, it's not because of a, of a crush or that Jesus was his boyfriend. It was because his <laughs> beauty surpasses all like his, his beauty is just the standard of beauty. And yeah. just like we could stare at a picture of art for a long time. Um, just think about if that, if that beautiful painting was of the highest standard, the highest divine standard you could spend your entire eternity gazing at it. And, uh, yeah. and there's nothing romantic about it. It is just because he is so beautiful that it, that would be something that would, that would be 
right to do because he is he deserves all glory and that would definitely bring him glory god is just so good that that goodness kind of has this beauty element to it things that are good um have beauty intrinsic beauty right right and so i think that's that's part of what's going on in that verse as well um i mean that's what it sounds like yeah it does Um, but god is just so perfectly good um that he is beautiful um yeah it's that kind of kind of weighty beauty yeah um the next passage is from psalm 50 verse 2 it says out of zion the perfection of beauty god shines forth so that one's very similar um there too i just want to point out that the geneva bible uh Mm -hmm. notes uh has a, a note there that just says out of zion the perfection of beauty god has shined is how they translate it and it points out that um the only reason that zion is that perfection of beauty is because god chose it uh, to have his name there called on and also uh, his image shines on uh shines there in the doctrine of the law so you, you know God, that verse kind of shows us, I think, um, that, you know, God can can impart this beauty on other uh, things like Zion, yeah. uh, for instance, through, you know, the doctrine of the law, through shining his image there and by choosing it. Yeah. In, uh, in Psalm 96, 6, it says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. In, uh, in Isaiah 28, 5, it says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. Crown him with ringy crowns. Uh, it sounds like that uh, is a reference to that particular hymn. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, Zechariah nine seventeen it says, For how great is his goodness, and how great his beauty grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women so we get again we have goodness and beauty mm-hmm. um, in Mark uh, chapter 14 verse 6 it says but Jesus said uh, leave her alone why do you trouble her she has done a beautiful thing to me this is actually in reference to what we mentioned earlier when uh, when the, the woman had uh, poured out her perfume upon Jesus feet Oh yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And so that that act of, of sacrifice was seen as as, as beautiful, it be, but it was beautiful because it was her her act of selfless sacrifice upon Jesus, yeah. glorifying Him, glorifying Him. So, so not act. only can God impart beauty on His creation, but also when we as justified humans uh, are glorifying him. We, we, you know, show him to be beautiful. Um, not that he's not beautiful without us. Absolutely not. But he, you know, uh, another part of the confession says that, you know, God doesn't need us basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, in this last verse, it doesn't talk about beauty per se in the ESV. 
Uh, but this is a passage that I've heard it used as beauty or splendor or majesty. But it says, um, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Yeah, so there is that connection again, maybe to glory and beauty, sort of what we started out with in Exodus. Yeah. Um, that their glory, weight, um, is, is kind of like the, the connotation, uh, the underlying principle behind glory, from what I can understand anyway. Yeah. And beauty. Um, and so all throughout, really all of these, it feels like that is kind of the common theme, glory and beauty. Um, for God's glory, uh, beautiful. Uh, God's God is beautiful um, because he is so good, um, his glory. Uh, when we glorify God, we show him to be beautiful. And now here in uh, the Matthew verse, the, um, that um, Solomon, all his, his beauty and glory was not arrayed like one of these. And yet God um, gives each of us uh, you know, we can depend on him for yeah. clothing. And, uh, and so I, I say all of this to just argue the point that God cares greatly about beauty, that God is beautiful. And, and not only is he beautiful, he is beauty. He is the standard of what is beautiful. And, um, and that beauty is more than just a, um, it's not a subjective, um, you know, eye of the beholder type thing. Mm-hmm. There is an objectivity to uh, to divine beauty, and there is an objectivity uh, to you know just the idea of like the perfection of even the aesthetic, um, and and that's important uh, when you're talking about music because music is. Uh, there, there's aesthetic beauty uh, involved in music, and uh, and it's transcultural. So it's not just Western music is beautiful, but anything else is just is hideous. Uh, there is <laughs> a- objective beauty in every uh, musical culture around the world, and that beauty ultimately is, is held to the standard of God. Uh, and so that's. Uh, I just wanted to lay that as a piece of the foundation. Uh, these other two attributes, as I mentioned before, these are kind of more givens, and so I'll just go over them briefly. Um, God is both eternal and that he is never-ending. He is also immutable and that he is never-changing. He does mm-hmm. not fade away. He does not go out of style, and he does not adapt to current trends, and neither, no. do, and neither do his standards. Right. Yeah, uh, there we can turn back to uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter two again, and we see that he is immutable. Uh, and some of the verses that um, the Westminster divines who wrote this give us there are James one seventeen, and I th- that I think that's honestly a, a really great example of um, of this, but every good and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Um, and that's in the KJV, but, um, the, you know, 
everything is from him. Every good thing comes from him. There is no changing. There is no shadow of like, well, he was really bad in the Old Testament, but really good in the New Testament. No, none of that. Yeah. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, so um, that's really wonderful because then we, we uh, as the creatures, can depend on that. And this isn't going to be a God who like flies off the handle, yeah. um, you know, or anything like that. Um, everything he does is uh, entirely consistent with who he is. And by the way, I now have great as I faith when it's stuck in my head. <laughs> there is no I almost sang there's, the line. Yeah, there's no shadow of turning within. Um, yeah. So that that's that's absolutely true. And, and that's one of the things I think people forget. They they want to say, oh, yeah, the God of the Old Testament, he was all wrath and fury. And, but the God of the New Testament, he's all love and kindness. It's like, no, we did not, like God did not weaken himself to, to become uh, in, in the New Testament. I mean, you, you can look at, uh, books like Ruth where you definitely see like the love of God. You look, look at the Psalms, you can see David pouring out his heart to God. Uh, you look at song of Solomon and you, you definitely see, you know, the love of God. And then you look at, um, look at Ananias and Sapphira. You see the wrath of God in the new Testament. Uh, you know, there's, it's not just, I mean, and I think of like when King Herod was eaten by the worms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a, a wrathful God. He still takes sin very seriously. Absolutely. Uh, I think in a lot of cases in the new Testament, we just see a lot of people have their hearts changed by God. And we're following the story of people whose hearts have been changed by God. And so he doesn't need to pour out his wrath on them as much because they are, because he is instead forgiving them and you see how their lives are changed but that is a different story and that's okay not, and that's not what we're talking about and that's a rabbit trail that one's free so the next <laughs> uh the next one is the perfection of god god is perfect in all that he does he does not yeah. err he does not fail he always maintains his standards and he alone can attain them sure and there we uh, turn to uh, confession again, where it says, "Who is infinite in being and perfection?" Mm-hmm. Um, and the um, Westminster Divines gives a bunch of verses from Job. Actually, uh, they turn to Job for a lot of this. So, Job eleven seven: uh, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Um, so it's like you know we can search God out and whatnot. Um, but, uh, but you will find that, you know, he is perfect in every, uh, in every way. Um, he, he is the measure of perfection. Uh, Job 11 verse nine, a couple verses later says the measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Um, where I I think it's easier to take this all in context, but like, Mm -hmm. um, Basically, this is where um, one of Job's friends is kind of trying to help him out. It's like, you know how perfect God is, right? You, you know, like he is like perfect, perfect. Um, not not just like mostly perfect, but actually completely perfect. And what he says is true. Now, of course, he takes it in kind of a legalistic direction, which means yeah. you 
you, Joe, must be doing something wrong. Um, however, uh, we can pull out, hey, look, um, Christ, you know, God really is uh, completely perfect in all he does and says and is. Absolutely. Yeah, if you want to learn a lot about God, just go read Job. Yeah. My uh, oldest daughter, actually, um, so not my oldest child, but my oldest daughter, um, loves the book of Job. Like, she's really gotten into that over the past year, which has really, really been cool. Yeah. And uh, so moving on to the the next major point, um, you know, God shares his beauty. Uh, That that is a a, a communicable attribute of his. Um, However, his these other attributes of his permanence and his perfection are incommunicable uh, attributes. He does not share those, but he does give us timelessness and uh, an excellence, which are very similar. And we'll get into that. Yep. I was going to totally ask about that. Like God shares his beauty. He allows timelessness and he allows excellence. So what do you mean by uh, timelessness? And then, this language of he allows uh, certain things like excellence and beauty and timelessness. What do, what do you mean by those two things, I guess? All right. Well, um, what I mean by he allows timelessness is mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's something I, I could have said he gives. Uh, I just chose the word allows because it's, it's not necessarily the same as him sharing. It's not a, it's not a communicable attribute. So God isn't timeless god is permanent that doesn't mean he i guess it doesn't mean he's not timeless but timeless would be um a an art that transcends um a specific time and place so oh okay um, so like you know bach wrote music and we can still enjoy that today it is timeless it, is, do. it it does not only appeal to the culture of what in which it was written it appeals to all um to all of western culture from the beginning to the end it is it is very it is a cultural piece it is not transcultural though other cultures may appreciate it um and that's that is going to that's a very very deep thing that we'll probably talk about in part 2 um but that's what i meant by by timelessness and then excellence you know, God doesn't need to pursue excellence because he is perfect, but God right. does not share his perfection with us, but he allows us the, the chance to pursue excellence. And, and I'll, and I'll get into those in, uh, in just a little bit. You're, you're getting me out of okay. my order of my, of my, oh. uh, sorry, my sorry, sir. So, I... All right. So, uh, first I want to talk about beauty. So beauty is one of God's communicable attributes. Uh, there is no command to be beautiful for your heavenly father is beautiful. Um, but it is important to know and to understand that God cares for beauty and he delights in our beautiful creations. Uh, I, I, I tend to believe that most of God's communicable attributes, we are still commanded to do. We're ex- they're not commanded, but we're expected to do. Um, which is why we don't need to give God communicable attributes that are not actually his communicable attributes, namely recklessness. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if we, 
if we were to say that God is reckless, therefore we are expected to be reckless because it is a communicable attribute. But that is not an attribute of God. Therefore, we are not expected to be reckless. Um, so wait, does that mean all of God's attributes are communicable? Um, no. Surely there are some that are incommunicable, right? Sure. Yes. Uh, God, and I don't have the, the list in front of me. Uh, you just read through a whole mess of them but uh whole heap and lot yeah whole heap and lot but uh it's these are big words communicable means um he shares them they are he shares them with the community if you think of of, think of it that way uh or those he communes with um Mm -hmm. he shares his um certain abilities his ability to love his ability to um his his beauty his even his holiness to to a degree um, you know, his, you, you think of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all attributes of God that he shares with us. There's communicable attributes. Uh, if they were not his, then they wouldn't be the fruit. You know, God plants his seed in us and therefore we grow the fruit of God. Um, but then there are other attributes that, only God can have. Those are the incommunicable ones. His ever presence, uh, his uh, being all powerful, uh, being all knowing. Uh, we can't be that. Only God could be that. And so those are his incommunicable um, attributes. So we change every day, every moment, every, every second I change because I'm getting older and I'm getting frailer. Um, but God does not change. You know, I may be in an online argument and I may not change. That's what most people in online arguments do. They don't change, (laughs) but I might change and everyone expects everyone else to change. Um, I became a Presbyterian over an online argument and I've, I've shared that here before, but you know, we change, we change our minds, we grow, we, we seek to learn more. Those are us changing. Um, so we do not share that that gift. Now, um, I would say that God's infinity is incommunicable, but his eternality is communicable, meaning that I will exist for eternity. I am not infinite in that I did not, I have not always existed. Um, so infinite would be both directions, whereas eternal Mm -hmm. would just be the one direction. I was created and I will now therefore always exist from the moment that I was created. Uh, so those are just big fancy words. Um, <laughs> These are some fancy words. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so we are expected to be beautiful because our heavenly father is beautiful, though it is not a direct command. Um, and just kind of moving on, I, I touched on this some, but when God's, uh, while God's permanence and perfection are incommunicable attributes, God does give us timelessness and excellence. And by timelessness, uh, I, I mean that timelessness is based on objective beauty, uh, with God as the standard. We can listen. Right. We can listen to Bach today and enjoy mm-hmm. it as much as the first audience. Music that seeks to attain true beauty will truly be beautiful. 
Um, music that seeks to attain true beauty will be tr- will truly be beautiful. So, is that kind of like what we were talking about up above with all those verses mm-hmm. um, for glory and for beauty? For instance, yes. if we're trying to make music that is glorifying God, um, that 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 will be beautiful because it's making much of God. That kind of a thing. I mean, to, to I... some extent, but but think about this. Yeah. Think about this. Um, I'm thinking. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Is, would you consider that song to be beautiful or hokey? You know, um, it depends on when you're asking me. As a 38-year-old, I, I, I find it a little hokey. Uh, when I was younger, oh, man, that was actually, that was... That was one of those songs, man. It was that you could jam out because it was in the it was in the worship binder. It which, was in the worship for those binder. of you who did not survive the worship wars. The worship binder was kind mm-hmm. of an addendum to the hymnal, it's and a- it was maybe twenty songs uh, photocopied and three hole punched and put into a uh, either red or blue uh, paper folder uh, that sat right alongside and uh, was the focus of some consternation. Uh, in and amongst the congregation, uh, depending on what side of the worship war you fell on. Yeah, it's in the uh, it's in the 2008 Southern Baptist hymnal now. Well, 2008. I mean, that was I mean, it, way it, long. Into... It, it really held up over the ten years that it had existed before then. I wonder but if it's in the celebration hymnal. I'll have to look it that might up. Be. I've got that one downstairs too. But um, so. Lord, I lift your name on high is not timeless. We can tell because we listen to it now and we think it's hokey. There's some hymns that, uh, like, there's one that's uh, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. It goes, Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name, and that's the reason why we love him so. And it's like, no, that's awful. Like, that's an awful, like, what? <laughs> what? What does that mean? That's so it's so terrible. The song, it sounds like a little, little hokey Southern Baptist song, um, or Southern Gospel song is what I meant to say, not Southern Baptist song. Um, Southern Gospel song, and it's got really terrible theology behind it, that we love Jesus <laughs> because his name is pretty. We love Jesus because he is beautiful. That is a reason that we can love him, but that's not the reason why we love him. Um, anyway, so those songs are not timeless. Uh, but you listen to um, to the the Alleluia chorus by by Handel, and that song is still as powerful today, and it still commands a standing ovation every time because it's. I timeless. will say yes. My mother taught me well, and I do stand every time. Every time, and. The reason why is because there is something about that song that is timeless and that is beautiful because it's, it's, it, it, you hold it up to the standard of God and it pales in comparison to that. Like everything pales in comparison to the standard of God, but you can see that God's hand is still in it, not in a miraculous, uh, supernatural, um, authoritative way, but that the song was meant to glorify God in such a way that it is just unspeakably beautiful. And uh, I, and I'm not going to say that there's a mystical quality to this, though there might be. Uh, me as a Presbyterian, I want to get rid of all mysticism, uh, so I don't <laughs> I don't think that there's like a miracle that is behind the composition of this music. I just think that when a song is composed 
uh, and, and it's using more than just some sort of formula that, that people are going to like, um, you know, it can achieve something so much more. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of where I'm getting at when, when I talk about the, the timelessness of, and the, the true beauty and, uh, yeah, so music that seeks to attain true beauty will truly be beautiful. Um, and excellence is... Quick. Go ahead. Oh, uh, just a little bit of real-time follow-up. The Celebration Hymnal does uh, have Shine, Jesus, Shine in it. Uh, hymn number 431. We didn't talk about Shine, Jesus, Shine. We talked about Lord, lift your name on high. Oh, it has that one, too. Sorry, I couldn't remember which one of those two it was. In my head, they bleed together. It's all right. That's hymn number 107. It's all right. They're both hokey. Um <laughs> Because and, and and you say, I mean, it's probably still going to be number one on the charts for like ten more years. But after probably. that, it's going to fall into obscurity. Uh, because you know, a hundred years from now, people are not going to be singing oceans. You know what they will be singing. A hundred years from now, people will still be singing in Christ alone. Shine, Jesus, shine. Oh, they will still. Yeah. Be, they will still be they singing will. in Christ alone. That will be in the hymnal from now until when Jesus comes back because it is truly beautiful, but not, not the uh, passion version. <laughs> no, no Christian Sandfall version. Hopefully the, um, the kind of the fad with adding on, uh, various, uh, praise choruses onto perfectly good songs will, will fade into obscurity. Or at least the choruses will fade into obscurity while the songs that have well, the song the itself time, yeah. will continue. To I like to compare it to the chaff being burned off. Yes, that's a good way. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, so excellence is based on uh, absolute standards and knowing uh, where we compare to them. We aspire to push ourselves closer to the standard while also understanding our own limitations. Um, I've I've heard it said that if you try to pursue perfection, you will always fall short. But when you try when you strive to pursue excellence, you will, you will create something that is truly remarkable. And, um, only God is perfect and he did not give that to us, but he allows us excellence. We can get better every day. We can continue to, to do more, um, and that doesn't mean that what we did in the past was bad. We just get better and, uh, and we, we can practice more, we can do more. Um, but we can also just grow closer to God and our understanding can constantly get better. Um, I mean, we're not going to immediately, like when we get to heaven, our sins going to be washed away. We are going to be made new and we are going to love God with a complete purity, but that love is still going to continue to grow for all eternity. And it's never going to stop because though we will always have excellence. So that's uh, something to think about. Yeah. The excellence and timelessness and, um, he got is really a gift of God, uh, and his, uh, sharing, you know, that beauty with us. I, Kind of like we, we, we saw in that verse from Psalms where he's shining his glory, uh, his, shining his beauty onto Mount Zion, communicating it through there. Yeah. Um, which was Psalm 50, verse 2, I believe. 
yeah. yeah. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Yeah. And so... Um, because of him. So we have made it through two of our eight points. <laughs> and I, it's, and it's, getting late, it is getting, it's getting late. It's getting really late. <laughs> Um, this is definitely going to be a three-parter. Uh, I am going to try to get through these next two points. Um, I think that these are still very, very foundational that we can get through tonight. And then we will start with point five next week. Um, okay. Yeah, man. this is. I knew this was going to be a meaty topic, but... Whew. It's meaty. It's meaty. <laughs> All right. So speaking of meaty, let's just get straight into this. Point three, there is no moral or theological weight tied to melody, harmony, or instrumentation. And this is generally speaking. Uh, So just general songs, like especially when you're talking about like type two or type three songs. Um, Melodies, harmonies, and instrumentation are purely aesthetic in nature. However, they often carry moral connotations. Yeah, so... That's obviously another question I have. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, and I, I knew that was going to be one. This is a lot easier. And are to... shovels involved with these moral connotations? Possibly. No. I, okay. This is a mu- this is much easier for me to hum than it is to to write out. And this right. is um, which one of these is holier? Da 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 da. Or. Bum 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 bum. Well, I mean, Amazing Grace. <laughs> I mean, oh, I didn't sing what? Amazing Grace. I just sang some notes. I just hummed some notes. Right. That, that's what I mean. Like, where 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 are you getting? However, they often carry moral connotations. The, 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 are you ta- are you talking about like because everybody knows Amazing Grace? Yeah, there is some sort of moral the, connotation there. The uh, what I just gave you, I just sang two, I uh, just hummed a couple bars from two different songs. You mm-hmm. know both of those songs. Most people know both of those songs. So you hear Amazing Grace and you think Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That has moral weight to it. That has religious weight to it. The notes I sang have nothing, but because they are so closely tied, uh, the, the melody is so closely tied to the words in even pop culture that you can't divorce the two. Same with Smoke on the Water. Um, <laughs> it is a very popular riff. I mean, it's one that most people are familiar with that song. I mean, it's not that that song is an evil song. It's just a very familiar song. Um, and one of them carries connotations that are very lofty. The other carries connotations that aren't. And so that's what I meant by that. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is that the melody itself becomes a synecdoche. Yes. For the song as a whole, which I'm just very glad that you gave me the opportunity to work synecdoche into our third straight episode. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. So, in other words, uh, in absence of the actual even words, um, even the tune can carry. So, this is why, for instance, uh, Chick Fil A will do Muzak versions yes. of uh, Christian Christian songs because 
even though the words are not there, they are still preaching the gospel as it is, uh, uh, as they are able uh, through the melodies. Is that what you're saying? I would say that's that's partly that's kind it, of ridiculous. Though, I realize, but. though sometimes cyber terrorists do hack into <laughs> and change it to. Uh, Gonna watch out for that. Yeah. No. Anyway. Um, yeah, that was. By the way, uh, I, I shared that with my work, and oh. uh, and <laughs> how'd that go? It it went it went well. Uh, I got a very common response that was, "I didn't even notice the change." Oh, so a little too well. So it went a little too well. So, <laughs> so we went back and added the word satire, very big at the top of the page. So satire. This is satire. It is, it is satire. Uh, it was funny. Don't uh, snub us. Don't. Yeah. And also, we have more coming. But that is Ooh. that is a wrap. Sorry, trail. I just had a great idea to get more listeners. We can actually submit our own site to Snopes for them yeah. to check out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. All right. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and I would say um, doing like Christian parodies of secular songs would fall into this, like. Uh, I used to be really big into this band called Apologetics when I was in high school. I think we yeah, talked about that in my a previous, sure. previous episode. But you can't divorce the original content from the songs. And so you're listening to it, and it's like this Christian version. But uh-huh. if you're very familiar with the old version, you're still going to be running through the old lyrics. And so you can't truly redeem. Uh, I think you can redeem musical styles, I don't think you can really redeem individual songs. And well, unless you're like me and hadn't heard the originals. And yeah, to that was you, the too. apologetics version was the original. Were the yes. originals. <laughs> that is how it was for me because it was a sin to listen to the yeah. secular music. That's really endemic to kind of like what was going on in Christian subculture mm-hmm. at the time. Absolutely, it was. Uh, was kind of this whole idea that we we could kind of redeem culture back into our own little Christian subculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that with all sorts of things. Uh, Christian t-shirts. I oh had my one. goodness. I, the, um, the, a breadcrumb and fish. Did you yeah, ever have that one? I didn't. Mine, uh, mine was a riff on those no fear shirts and it, oh, yeah. and it had a knot and it said frayed knot. Oh, I was such a dork, oh, but yeah. I loved it. I, I had and, I had a big collection of those. Yeah, and apologetics and and, and that. Ilk. I mean, I had an apologetics it, T-shirt. Kind of, yeah, nice. So anyway, with the little Trinity knot and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't miss those good days. times. I'm sure, um, you do. Anyway, so this <laughs> next this next kind of sub point is one of the bigger ones. Um, that I'm sure that David McCookie is already screaming at me, but it's coming. Oh dear. It's coming. Um, there are legitimate and convincing arguments for a theological weight tied to harmony and instrumentation, uh, for songs meant for worship. Uh, but I take the position that melody, harmony, and instrumentation are all permitted under Christian Liberty. Um, and so by this, what I mean is, um, there are, uh, certain, uh, there are certain arguments that we should only sing melody and that we should only sing, um, the Psalms 
and um, in worship. In worship, yeah, for songs mm-hmm. for worship specifically, and that we should not have any instrumentation. And right. these arguments are biblically based, and they are very they're very convincing arguments. Um, I just I have arguments against them that I that I personally think are more convincing, but. I think in a lot of ways, this is just areas where um, we just need to have a biblical conviction and not just a cultural conviction. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, To clarify, uh, not just melody, there is harmony um, as well. I mean, like the Psalms are written out. Um, I actually just got back Mm -hmm. from uh, a service tonight and it was beautiful. You know, we were singing in four part harmony, the Psalms. And um, so I'm I'm not sure where there is a where how many people would say that only we should sing melody unless you're referring to like like the chants in the Catholic Church like we'll we'll get into that in in part two because I have it fair enough under point five Um, but there's a yeah there's there's an argument for it. think John Calvin and uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer I have listed as two notable people that um, that said melody only. That is quite a pairing sir. I know (laughs) Um, just wanted to throw those out there. On a scale from John Calvin to Diedrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer. (laughs) Hey they both Hey, Diedrich tried to kill someone John Calvin actually did Oh my word (laughs) Uh, that's fake news people Um, anyway uh, let's get into this final point because it is getting late and after that can of worms worms, I've got all sorts of cans of worms in here Um, and so we just I just talked about the there are no moral or theological weight to melody harmony or instrumentation however there is an artistic and aesthetic weight tied to melody, harmony, and in instrumentation. And, uh, and that's, that should be an obvious statement, but if we are following the argument, if we believe that God delights in beauty, and if we believe that melody, harmony, and instrumentation add to a song's beauty, then it stands to reason that God delights in beautiful melody, harmony, and instrumentation. Now, this would be something that people would say, of course God believes in those, and for especially for type 2 and type 3 songs. Um, but we a lot of those verses we were talking about earlier, uh, especially like Aaron's garments for beauty and for glory, um, that's, that's for worship. Um, God delights in beauty in worship. and worship. So, mm-hmm. And so I believe, you know, based on my understanding of... God's delight and beauty and God's commands for beautiful worship that adding things to a song uh, like instrumentation um, like harmony and uh, and having a, a crafted melody um, I believe that those are all honoring to God uh, obviously there is a line Somewhere, Like, does God delight in a 10-minute guitar solo in the middle of a worship set? If it's beautifully done. Probably not. Um, And then you can get into other questions like, uh, 
should we have special music where just someone comes up and performs and we don't have congregational participation? Um, you know, those are, those are big questions tied to this, you know, where does the line end? And in a lot of ways, it's easier to say, you know, that we should just draw the line with exactly what the Bible says. If the Bible says, um, singing and making melody, then, uh, that should be where the line ends. And, um, you know, it's, it it can get, it can get really difficult to know where the line is. And, and, uh, and that's why the idea of sola scriptura and, uh, the regulative principle are so uh, important because we need to make sure that we're not overstepping that line. We need to make sure that we know where that line is. And in some of these, uh, cases and some of what I'm talking about, I believe that there is a great deal of Christian liberty and we'll get into that in part two, where I believe the Christian liberty is and why I believe, uh, the, the, where the Christian liberty is. Unfortunately, it is 11 o'clock. We are, <laughs> We're about out of time. We are folks. about out of time. I got to go is, to work tomorrow. This is going to be like an hour and 45 minute long episode. And we're only halfway through of part one. So, uh, yeah, this is, this at least is we made be, it to the main topic. At least we made it to the main topic. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, there yeah. we are. Well, I would like to say mm-hmm. that, uh, in closing, I mean, we are definitely wanting you to participate in this kind of song collection that we're putting together mm-hmm. of songs to sing when you are in a dire place. So please get those into us. And also, if you would like to become a Presbyterian during an online debate, join us on Slack. <laughs> uh, and check happened. us out on slack.reformation.com. We'll spell it out So for look you. forward to seeing. Yeah. Plus, you will have other options unlocked for you at that point, and you can uh, communicate directly with Brian or I uh, by Slack, also Postal Mail. Mm -hmm. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you and kind of some of your thoughts around uh, these things that we've been talking about here. So, All right, and so uh, with that, I would like to conclude and i'm glad that i chose the first verse and not the third verse because we're gonna have to use probably gonna use this whole song (laughs) but uh fairest lord jesus ruler of all nature O thou of god and man the son thee will i cherish thee will i honor thou my soul's glory joy and crown there is a long to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in the eye to heal the sin-sick soul. To never feel discouraged, for Jesus is your friend. And if you like 
Thank you for listening to the Balm and Gilead podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereis at balmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balm and Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback. So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast. There's a there's a good friend of mine who actually you know wrote one of her songs. Uh, his name was Bill Hasinger. Oh, I've heard of Bill. Yeah, I know Bill. Yeah, it's, I sent him in a, a an Ask Bill Anything once, and and he yeah. that's, that's how I learned that he had written some of her songs, but that's right that is when um uh bill did address that i forgot about that i'll probably save this Uh, after credits okay that's fair we love you bill if you're listening yeah bill if you're listening please tell me what your deathbed song is oh (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait for that one